0: Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Exodus chapter 25, verses 31 through 40. And we are continuing reading through uh, the book of Exodus. In, and we are in this section where um, the people who God has brought out of slavery in Egypt, he's brought them to Mount Sinai, and now he's actually giving them instructions on how to construct the tabernacle, this special tent where God is going to meet with his people, where he's going to dwell in their midst. And um, sometimes we read through this and our eyes kind of glaze over. But it's there for a reason. And so uh, today we're getting to read about the lampstand that they're to make that goes inside the tabernacle. And so we can be thinking, I mean, I'm not going to tell you why, but we can be thinking, why did there need to be a lampstand? Why did there need to be lamps? Why was it to look like this? Why do we have candles in worship services today why do we put christmas lights up this time of year is it all connected i'll let you figure that one out here we go uh before we read let's pray heavenly father we do thank you for this day that you have made and god we do thank you for your word which you have given to us and god we pray that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed to have ears that hear minds that think and hearts that are ready to receive your word into our lives. Now that this morning you would make us, by your word and by your spirit, more and more into the people that you have made us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 31. Make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft, and make its flower-like cups, buds, and blossoms of one piece with them, Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make its seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Turning then to our gospel reading this morning from Luke chapter 6 verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, "No tree, no no, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things" out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The college football season is coming quickly to an end. For most teams, it actually already has come to an end. But even though we're at that time of year, I'd still like to talk about this. Have you ever thought about the logistics of what it takes to even put on a college football game these days? All of the equipment and personnel that has to get transported, and you have the the stadium itself, which is huge. You have, uh, <laughs> and there's a lot that goes on there, and then you have everything that goes along with each team. I mean, you got the concession stands You've got uh, the bands that come along with all of their instruments. You've got the the pads and the helmets and the, the tape to wrap the ankles. You've got so much. There's so much. Can you imagine two teams getting together to play? And they're in the middle of all of that. And right as they gather together to play, the ref looks kind of at everybody and goes, um, where's the ball? And everybody's like, oh, we didn't figure we needed it. We got all this. <laughs> No, no, that's what all this is about, is watching what happens with the ball. The ball's the main thing. You can't do this. Like, in fact, if you just had a ball and a patch of grass, you can play football. You don't need all the rest of it. All the rest of it is just to watch what happens with this ball, right? We get that. The reason I bring this up is this is what was in, uh, the church in Corinth, in Corinth was in danger of, was having everything else and missing the ball. They were uh, being so shaped by their culture that was not following Jesus, that even though they claimed they did want to follow Jesus, they kept looking more like the rest of the culture than they looked like Jesus. And in fact, they were even taking the things that God had given to the church to form them and to shape them and to grow them and to build them up and to strengthen them and to nurture them. And they were using those very gifts to divide and to tear down and to look more like the world than like Jesus. And so, that's one of the things we've been seeing as we've been going all the way through this uh, letter that Paul writes uh, to the church in Corinth, this letter of 1 Corinthians. And we have gone through 12 chapters, and a lot of it has had to do with the same kind of thing, the ways that they are using the gifts to divide uh, the church. And where we just were in chapter 12, he talks about the unity that they're supposed to have as the body, and how every part contributes as a part of the body. There's to be a unity there, and that how each of the gifts—they're not all the same. They're all different. They're all for the same purpose: building up the body, as uh, working together as one. Now, that's not how they were being used. In fact, they were being used as ways that people would divide each other and, and say, "Oh, well, I've got this gift that makes me better than so and so because they only have that other gift. Mine's obviously better." And no, that's not the way it works. And so after explaining that's not the way it works, now he kind of has a a pause. He's going to come back and talk about spiritual gifts more, but he takes this pause, and it's almost like that Vince Lombardi moment. For those of you who don't remember who he is, well, look it up. Anyway, this is the the football coach, famous uh, speech that he gives where he says to his players, he holds up a football and says, this is a football (laughs) kind of taking them back all the way to first principles kind of thing. You may have a lot of the rest of the game right, but if you forget this, that's what Paul's doing now. He pauses on this whole conversation and is like, we can't miss this. There is something so central to the whole thing that if you miss this, the rest of it doesn't matter. And so we're going to, along with Paul, pause. For the season of Advent, We're going to look at this chapter that is kind of this pause in the middle of the whole thing and look at what is so critical that you just can't miss it. And we're going to look at it all four weeks of Advent so we don't miss it. (laughs) And uh, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is uh, words that may be familiar. You probably have heard these at a wedding or something like that. You may have seen them cross-stitched on a wall. You may have cross-stitched them yourself. But here, this is, uh, we're going to read the whole thing and then we'll talk about part of it today and then uh, other parts as we go forward in the next few weeks. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now, these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. As I mentioned, Paul is... uh, taking this pause to make sure they understand what is central. And just looking at the first three verses uh, this morning, he goes through some of the gifts. Some of the, the gifts that God has given the church to build up the church. Talks about tongues. I speak in the tongues of men of angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What's the purpose of speaking in the in a language it's somebody understands you and he's like but if you don't have love they don't understand how much meaning is there in the sound that a gong makes or the sound of a crashing cymbal you hear it but it's noise it's not words it says if I have the gift of prophecy can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge A faith that can move mountains. I do not have love. I am nothing. Think about how this would have uh, been received by the church in Corinth, where people have been puffing themselves up and be like, I have the gift of prophecy. I have a faith that can move mountains. And he's like, okay, maybe you have that. But if you don't have love, then that means you're not using your gift in the service of love. You're not using it in love to serve others. And and if you're not doing that, then guess what? That doesn't make you so great. It makes you nothing. The gifts become worthless when they're not used for what they're given for. And the same thing, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast. Oh, the martyr complex. (laughs) You can imagine people in the church who are just really going on and on about how how much they do and how much they do for others and how much they have gone above and beyond anything that anybody else is doing. And if only people could see how much I put myself through. And he's like, that's great. But if you're doing that for you (laughs) instead of actually doing it for them, you gain nothing. And so, again, I, all these things, if I do not have love I gain nothing and we will look at the description that he gives of love next week but for now I want to think in these terms in the terms of uh, what it looks like to be shaped like the culture what it looks like to be shaped like Jesus and so we think about what it is that uh, that Jesus said what it is that he did the ways that he operated with everybody he came in contact with. And that gives us a pretty good idea. Because in fact, when it comes to how we are to love each other, and again, we'll get into that description um, next week that Paul gives, but one of the things that uh, Jesus tells us, and you might have you might recognize this from our sign out front. It's been the same verse on that sign for, I think, three years now. I keep thinking if I find a better verse, I'll replace it, but come on. It's, for, it's John 15, verse 12, where Jesus said, My command is this love each other as I have loved you. How is it we're supposed to love each other? As he has loved us. We really, in the church, suffer from a lot of the same problems that the church in Corinth was suffering from, that being being conformed and shaped by the world, more so than by Jesus. And very often we take our definitions of love from how the world describes it, how the world defines it, how the world operates with sort of that common understanding of what it must be to love. And we forget that Jesus has already defined it for us and said, it's, it's as I've loved you. That's how you're to live. That's how you're to love. Watch this Christmas season for commercials that use the word love and ask yourself every time you hear it, did they mean it like Jesus meant it? Did they mean it like Paul meant it? Or are they talking about something else? And I think you'll find most of the time most of the time. They're talking about something else. But using that same word, and it's so easy for us when we're not paying attention, we're not asking that question, to kind of drift along and kind of go along and start assuming that's what Jesus meant too or that's what Paul meant too. But no. So here again, that's why we're going to take some time and look at this over the next several weeks. But getting back to the idea of this being so, such a central thing, Paul goes through several gifts that have been given to the church for building up the body. He says, if you have those, but you don't have love, nothing, right? This is um, it's something that also goes back to something that Jesus said when he was asked. This is in Matthew chapter 22. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Over 600 laws, right? 600 commands the Old Testament. Which one's the greatest? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Think about this. You know what Paul is saying is all these gifts that we have uh, been given, if we don't have love, they're worthless. What Jesus is saying is the whole of the Old Testament hangs on the love for God and the love for our neighbor. And you can imagine, if you have a nail on the wall and you hang a painting on there and you've got your two, uh, the string that goes over the nail, right? You can imagine each side of that string is one side love for God, the other side is love for neighbor. Now let me ask you, what happens when you cut either one of those? The whole thing falls, right? They are connected. We see that from what Jesus says. We see that what uh, John writes in the letter of 1 John chapter 4. It's all over the place. These are connected. You can't have, as John tells us, a love for God and hate your neighbor. If you say you love God and you hate your neighbor, he says you're, you're a liar. Really, that's what you are. They are connected. If you say you can fulfill the whole of the Old Testament law, but you don't have love for God or love for neighbor, either one, you're not fulfilling any of it. It all hangs from that. And this may also be why then, in, uh, in the upper room with his disciples the night before Jesus goes to the cross. He doesn't say to them, a new command I give you, speak in tongues. He doesn't say that. Does he give that as a gift to the church later? Yes, he does. <laughs> but that's not his command. He doesn't say, a new command I give you, Prophesy, fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. Have a faith that can move mountains. That's not his command. Is that a gift he gives to the church? Yes. <laughs> but instead, what Jesus does is he takes, he gets up from the table, the meal, wraps a towel around his waist. He washes his disciples' feet. He tells them to do the same. And then says... A new command I give you, love one another. How? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Almost as though the disciples have as short of attention spans as we do, Repeats it three times, and then comes back a little later that evening and says, as we read earlier, my command is this love each other as I have loved you. And then a little later, that same evening, this is my command love each other. You hear how it just keeps coming back again and again and again as though this is what he wants us to get? This is a football, right? What is the main thing? And what we tend to do is try to set that aside and say, look, that's not important right now. What we really need to do right now is something else. And in fact, look at these gifts that God has given to us. And every time we do that, we're making the mistake of the Church of Corinth. Every time we do that, we are as ridiculous as a football team showing up without a football. Jesus has given the command to love each other. And he says also that same night, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Paul talks about how when we are using uh, these gifts to divide ourselves instead of to build each other up in love, it's useless. On the other hand, what is the flip side of that? That's if we don't forget what Jesus has commanded us in loving each other as he has loved us. If we continue to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, if we continue to love our neighbor as ourselves, then guess what that looks like? It's a beautiful thing. I would say you'd be hard-pressed to find anything more beautiful in all the world than a church that is actually operating as the church that is looking more and more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. When people are using the gifts that God has given them to serve each other in love. And when this happens, Jesus even says, my joy will be in you. Joy will be complete. So not only is it a beautiful thing, but it's a joyous thing. Anyway, we will talk more in the weeks to come about what this love looks like. Uh, And if you want to as I mentioned uh, two weeks ago, spend this season of Advent reading 1 Corinthians 13 once a day, maybe accidentally memorizing it by reading it so much, maybe committing time to intentionally memorize it. That would be time well spent. But let us reflect together on what it looks like uh, to truly uh, remember what is most important and to love the Lord our God and to love one another as Jesus has loved us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.